We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 356 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, July 14th, 2022, the day after our commander's co owner and co CEO, Dan Snyder, again denied Congress, again gave Congress the Dikembe Matumbo finger wag. Oh, no, no, no. Danny, no testify. Uh, this is the day after an ultra busy day for the Capitals on NHL free agency day one, which included our Capitals signing the number one free agent goaltender on the market, Darcy Kemper. Uh, this is the day after a 10th consecutive win for the Orioles, who cannot lose right now. And heck, this is the day after a two-home run day for Nationals right fielder Juan Soto, uh, even though his Nats got swept in a doubleheader, and even though Juan had uh, a bit of a boo-boo on the base paths. A lot happened on Wednesday, and we are here together to discuss. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast that is with you each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out by the 5 a.m. hour each weekday, and often much earlier than that. This is not a podcast for which you are left to guess on what days and at what time new episodes will be out. Oh, no, 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 no. We make it quite clear. Every weekday, Monday through Friday, out by the 5 a.m. hour, if not earlier. Uh, Great to have you with us. Next segment, yes, the Danny denying Congress once again. The House Committee on Oversight and Reform had given Dan Snyder a deadline of noon Eastern on Wednesday to confirm that he on July 28th, one day, by the way, after Commander's 2022 training camp opens, uh, would testify before the committee via video conference, but under a subpoena. And Team Danny on Wednesday answered with a, uh, yeah, we don't think so. And Team Danny in the letter scolded the committee. (laughs) How about the chutzpah 
from Team Danny. And chutzpah actually is a very appropriate word given some of what was talked about in this letter. Next segment, I will take you through the latest on Dan Snyder versus Congress as the saga within the saga. The saga of Dan versus Congress within the saga of the commander's workplace misconduct scandal rages on. Uh, Also on the show, the Capitals. What a crazy day one of NHL free agency for them. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five official major transactions by the Caps. And we had defections from the Caps, but no development for the Caps was bigger than them signing Darcy Kemper. You know, it's funny. Noon Eastern on Wednesday was the deadline for Dan Snyder to respond to Congress. Noon Eastern on Wednesday also was the start of NHL free agency. Uh, This was a busy time, Noon Eastern on Wednesday, but the Caps got their guy. I had a feeling that they would, and they did get their guy. Is that guy, is Darcy Kemper a true franchise goaltender? In-depth analysis of the signing of Kemper and every other major move by the Caps forthcoming. Uh, And then I will talk Orioles on the show. Hey, I have made a decision. Until the Orioles winning streak ends, the O's will remain ahead of the Nats on the rundown for the Al Galdi podcast. And so it has been declared on the pod. And there it is, (laughs) as our commander's team president, Jason Wright, said earlier this year. There it is. Exactly, Jason. There it is. Ten straight wins for the O's. A 7-1 victory at the Chicago Cubs on Wednesday night for a two-game sweep. A proper celebration of the latest victory for the O's is on the way. And I will talk Nationals. Uh, They on Wednesday got swept by the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park in a day-night doubleheader, but that was only part of the pain for the Nats on Wednesday, as it turns out that their closer, Tanner Rainey, now is almost certainly done for the season. It appears as if he needs Tommy John surgery. This news came out of nowhere, but uh, this news did come. I'll discuss that A bad outing for starting pitcher Josiah Gray. And yes, another big day for Juan Soto, who also, yes, did have the bad base running boo-boo. All of that coming up later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Jim Wynn on my conversation with Eric from Commander's Realm on Tuesday's show, Episode 354 writes, Jim, this guy, Commander's Realm, was incredibly insightful and a good communicator. Well done. Need lots of these young, passionate fans. Uh, Thank you for that, Jim. Yeah, Eric was really good. I would definitely recommend listening to my chat with Eric if you haven't yet caught that. Tweet from Rick Proctor (laughs) writes, Rick, hey, Al, good morning. 14 hours with no power and counting, yet still listening. Hashtag powered by Galdi. Well, thank you for that, Rick. Uh, How do you like that? My man, Rick, no power for 14 plus hours and yet still listening to the podcast. That, my friends, is a true Al Galdi podcast warrior. Uh, Rick, you get the gold star for the week, man. That is the most maddening thing when you are without power. And we have a lot of trees by our house. And every time there's a thunderstorm, I'm just staring at those trees. I'm just waiting for one of those bad boys to come tumbling down. Uh, Email from Mike P. Subject, WWE. 
And the email is in reference to the scandal now surrounding one Vince McMahon, the chairman and CEO of WWE, although he has stepped back from those responsibilities, er, allegedly. Uh, Oh, Vinnie Mac has some problems right now. The Wall Street Journal has been all over him. Uh, Multiple bombshell reports in recent weeks. He allegedly paid out a total of $12 million to four women over the past 16 years to quiet allegations of sexual misconduct. And if you read the allegations, uh, they are pretty bad. Uh, Writes Mike, as much as this doesn't surprise me, I still never thought I'd see it. Owners of organizations and leagues are being held accountable now. You'll see a lot of them hiding in the bushes. This is everywhere. I'm happy these people are getting exposed. It's just sad seeing people I grew up watching or a fan of being responsible for these things. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Yeah, there's no doubt. There very much has been a reckoning over the last, say, 10 years for powerful people guilty of sexual misconduct slash sexual assault slash sexual impropriety slash sexual harassment. You know, a lot of the reckoning started with what went down with two people from the oh-so-wonderful world of Hollywood, uh, Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby. Were it not those two scandals that really ignited all of this, the Weinstein and Cosby scandals, you know, two people, by the way, who loved to preach to you about politics and social issues, and yet these two people ended up being two monsters themselves, two total phonies. Uh, And the reckoning, of course, has very much come to sports, and the reckoning is part of this commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, The scandal started with the former Redskins employees telling their stories to the Washington Post for a major piece that came out in July 2020, July 16th, 2020, to be precise. Uh, This Saturday will mark the two-year anniversary of that article. But make no mistake, the commander's workplace misconduct scandal is very much a part of this reckoning. And who knows if this commander's workplace misconduct scandal ever erupts, if not for This movement, you know, call it the Me Too movement, call it what you want, but this movement, this reckoning of the last decade or so, you could argue is responsible for the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. And it is tricky because you can't just believe every accusation. You have to consider facts. You have to examine each situation independently, but you also have to listen to people who say that they have been harassed or have been assaulted, or have been victimized in some way. Because we know that so many of these instances go unreported. And I would say, by and large, the movement, the reckoning, is good. You know, people who have used their money and power to assault and harass and bully others deserve to be called out. Nobody deserves to be treated like the various women victimized in these scandals have been treated. And, you know, that really should go without saying. And, of course, nobody deserves to be victimized, period. And so if you or someone who you know has been victimized by the negligence of someone else, do not hesitate to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace 
that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C., and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And this is because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 202- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, Contact Paulson and Nace. Well, I don't know about you, but I now believe that Dan Snyder is enjoying what is going on between Congress and him. You know, Dan Snyder is the co-owner and co-CEO of an NFL team, the Washington Commanders. Dan Snyder performs real-time net worth mechanism was worth $4 billion as of Wednesday afternoon. Dan Snyder has a super yacht, the likes of which most people could only dream of. And yet I'd be willing to bet that one of the great pleasures in Dan Snyder's life right now is the extent to which he is toying with Congress. The extent to which he is toying with the government of the United States of America and the extent to which he is arguably beating Congress at its own game. Dan Snyder on Wednesday afternoon denied Congress's request to testify before Congress under a subpoena because, of course, Dan denied Congress's request to testify before Congress under a subpoena. If you listened to the opening segment of Wednesday's show, episode 355, you knew that there was very little chance of Danny agreeing to testify before Congress under a subpoena. And sure enough, the Danny on Wednesday afternoon denied Congress Once again, it is Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform that has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. It was on June 22nd that we had that congressional hearing on the scandal, a hearing at which Congress requested that both Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell testify. But Dan did not testify. He did not attend the hearing despite multiple requests 
from Congress to do so. That was the first true denial by Dan of Congress. Uh, Goodell did attend the hearing. He testified virtually, and I actually thought that Goodell did a pretty good job in terms of doing what Dan and the NFL wanted Goodell to do. Goodell took a bullet for Dan and the league on that day, and I thought that he took that bullet well. Well, the biggest development on that day, the biggest development at that June 22nd hearing was Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, announcing her intent to issue a subpoena of Dan Snyder for a deposition the following week. We, since then, have had this lengthy and tedious back and forth between Congress and Team Danny. And the gist of the back and forth is that Congress has not been able to serve Dan with the subpoena, and Dan is still dodging testifying on Congress's terms. Now, he has offered to testify virtually on July 28th, but under voluntary terms, not under a subpoena. There's a big difference. Dan, in testifying voluntarily, would have a lot more wiggle room as opposed to testifying under a subpoena. Committee Chairwoman Carolyn B. Maloney on Tuesday in a letter to one of Dan's many attorneys, Karen Patton Seymour, said, that the committee wants Dan to testify under a subpoena to make sure that his, quote, testimony will be full and complete and will not be restricted in the way it would be if the deposition were conducted voluntarily. And, quote, uh, Maloney in her letter asked for confirmation from Team Danny of the July 28th date by noon Eastern on Wednesday. Well, we on Wednesday afternoon got the response of this in the form of a letter from Karen Patton Seymour to Maloney. I'm going to read to you a good chunk of the letter because (laughs) this is pretty entertaining, okay? Quote, I write in response to your letter of July 12, 2022, confirming that the committee accepts Dan Snyder's offer to testify on July 28, 2022, by video conference from Israel, where Mr. Snyder and his family are attending services and events memorializing the first anniversary of of his mother's death. Your July 12th letter states that the committee intends to issue a subpoena to compel Mr. Snyder's appearance despite his repeated offer to appear voluntarily. There is no legitimate need for a subpoena to Mr. Snyder. The committee's proffered justification that Mr. Snyder would otherwise invoke non-disclosure agreements to withhold information from the committee is baseless. Mr. Snyder is not subject to any NDA that conditions his ability to share information solely on receipt of a subpoena. We are confident that Mr. Snyder will be able to provide full and complete testimony during his voluntary appearance, a view the committee apparently shared despite the proffered justification in the July 12th letter since the committee invited him to testify voluntarily at a hearing held just three weeks ago. The July 12th letter also wrongly suggests that Mr. Snyder has previously refused to cooperate. To the contrary, since the committee first requested that he appear voluntarily to testify at the June 22nd hearing, Mr. Snyder has been fully committed to cooperating in the committee's investigation. While Mr. Snyder was already committed to a work engagement overseas on the single date the committee offered for his appearance, we repeatedly reiterated Mr. Snyder's willingness to cooperate and offered to find alternate dates for him to appear. In fact, less than two days after the hearing on June 24th, I requested a call with committee staff to offer dates 
for a voluntary appearance. During our call on June 27th, I explained that Mr. Snyder would be in Israel in July to observe the first anniversary of his mother's passing in religious observances and family gatherings, and I proposed the date of July 28th, the date the committee has now accepted for his testimony. The committee did not respond to that offer and continued to press for details of Mr. Snyder's plans in Israel. We understand that the committee then received a letter from Mr. Snyder's mother's rabbi in which he explained the significance of this anniversary, a sacred obligation for the family to observe, and noted that he is personally traveling to Israel for some of the observances, including the long-planned unveiling of a Torah scroll that Mr. Snyder commissioned a year ago in his mother's memory. We appreciate that the committee has now accepted our offer for Mr. Snyder to testify from Israel, but it is, respectfully, disingenuous to, ass- <laughs> disingenuous to assert that there has been a month-long refusal to cooperate when it is the committee who declined for weeks to respond to his offer to appear voluntarily on the date the committee has now accepted. Finally, it is important to clarify the record on an additional matter in your July 12th letter. The committee has repeatedly and wrongly suggested that Mr. Snyder has invoked NDAs to cover up misconduct and prevent witnesses from sharing information with the committee. Mr. Snyder has done nothing of the sort. As the committee well knows, Mr. Snyder has not invoked any NDA to limit the information provided by witnesses that have spoken with the committee. Furthermore, as the committee is also well aware, Mr. Snyder and the Washington commanders also voluntarily waived any NDA that they had the power to waive for any former employee to speak with Beth Wilkinson, the former federal prosecutor who conducted a full and independent investigation into the same historical workplace issues that the committee purports to investigate here. End quote. So we have the invoking of the death of Dan Snyder's mom, We have the invoking of Dan being Jewish. We have Karen Patton Seymour bebopping and scatting all over the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, high-stepping on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, including essentially calling the House Committee on Oversight and Reform liars for the committee's assertion that Dan has invoked NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, to cover up misconduct and prevent witnesses from sharing information with the committee. Of course, there's no mention from Karen Patton Seymour of Dan Snyder regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation per the committee allegedly having, quote, sent private investigators to the homes of former cheerleaders, offered hush money to try to dissuade them from cooperating with the investigation, and gathered thousands of emails from former commander's president Bruce Allen in an effort to demonstrate that Bruce Allen had created a toxic environment at the Washington Commanders, end quote. Uh, Those things did not come up in Karen Patton Seymour's letter on Wednesday, interestingly enough. But as this Dan Snyder Congress workplace misconduct scandal saga goes on and on and on, and we all continue to become more and more sick of the entire ordeal, what continues to be the case is that Dan Snyder, despite clearly 
having presided over a workplace culture that was awful, and despite pretty clearly having participated in the awful workplace culture himself to at least some degree, if not a major degree, is winning in his battle with Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Do you remember the Charlie Sheen one-word catchphrase from years ago? Winning? Winning. (laughs) Yeah, winning. Actor Charlie Sheen in 2011 turned the word winning into a catchphrase. He was essentially on this extreme bender, and he kept using this word in interviews. Winning, well, Dan Snyder with Congress right now is winning. Winning. Yeah, exactly. Winning. Now, note, I say winning. I do not say has won. The battle isn't over. We do not know what tricks or tools that Congress may have up its sleeve. But as I have told you for months, Dan Snyder's strategy in all of this is simple. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. And if Dan continues to deny and delay, then I do think that all of this will go away if the Republicans do take back the House of Representatives via the midterm elections in November. Uh, We know that if that happens, the congressional involvement with the commanders will go away because the partisan divide on congressional involvement with the commanders has been clear. Democrats in Congress are for the involvement. Republicans in Congress are against the involvement. Now, if the Republicans do not take back the House in November, well, then that does change things. But uh, right now, anyway, the presumptive feeling seems to be that the Republicans are going to take back the House in November. And so you take a step back and you survey the scene and you consider what has transpired with Dan Snyder over the last two years. As ugly and as nasty as Dan's battle with his now former minority owners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith got, Dan ultimately won that battle. He bought out those three guys and at a discounted price and with the help of the NFL. And as disturbing and as off-putting as this entire workplace misconduct scandal has been, Dan, at least right now, is winning in his battle with Congress in the scandal. Congress can't get to Dan. Congress can't even serve Dan with a subpoena. Think about that. Dan right now is defeating Congress. Maybe that changes, but right now, this is where we're at. And understand, I don't take any great joy in saying this. I'm sure that most of you don't like hearing this, but the truth is the truth. Dan is winning. Winning. (laughs) Exactly. Up next, I'm talking Capitals, a wild day one of NHL free agency for the Caps. The day included the Caps signing the number one goaltender on the free agent market. Darcy Kemper, do the Caps finally have themselves a franchise goaltender. I'll talk about that and much more with the Caps after this.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So NHL free agency started on Wednesday at noon Eastern. We knew that the Capitals needed to do something of significance at goaltender. We thought that the Caps could maybe possibly sign the number one goaltender in NHL free agency this offseason, Darcy Kemper. Uh, After all, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic on Tuesday's installment of the podcast, episode 354, said that he believed that the Caps were targeting Kemper, and sure enough, the Caps on Wednesday afternoon signed Kemper in addition to signing another goaltender, signing a defenseman, trading for a forward, and re-signing a forward, and losing multiple players. A lot happened on Wednesday's day one of NHL free agency for the Capitals. But before we go any further, I do find it hysterical that NHL free agency technically, officially, started at noon Eastern on Wednesday. And yet within minutes after noon Eastern on Wednesday, we already had NHL teams agreeing with free agents on contracts. Golly gee, it's almost like teams tamper with players prior to when teams are supposed to be allowed to start talking to players and their agents. And I know that this goes on in many sports, uh, but still, it always cracks me up. Anyway, Uh, We on Wednesday afternoon, in fact, minutes after the official start of NHL free agency at noon Eastern, had word breaking that the Toronto Maple Leafs had struck a deal with Caps unrestricted free agent goaltender Ilya Samsonov. The Maple Leafs ended up announcing the deal as a one-year, $1.8 million contract. So Sammy, as expected, now is gone. Uh, Remember, we on Monday afternoon learned that the Caps had non-tendered Samsonov, meaning that he this offseason would be an unrestricted as opposed to a restricted free agent. So the Caps' two primary goaltenders of the last two seasons, Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek, now are gone. And that, to me, says a lot about how the Caps truly came to feel about these guys. The Caps this past Friday morning traded Vanacek to the New Jersey Devils. However, the Caps on Wednesday afternoon got themselves two new goaltenders. The Caps on Wednesday afternoon announced having signed unrestricted free agent goaltender Darcy Kemper to a five-year $26.25 million contract. And the Caps on Wednesday afternoon announced having signed unrestricted free agent goaltender Charlie Lindgren to a three-year $3.3 
million contract. So Vanacek and Samsonov out, Kemper and Lindgren in. And unlike the Vanacek-Samsonov scenario, there is a very clear number one and number two for the Caps with Kemper and Lindgren. Kemper clearly is the Caps' number one goaltender. Lindgren clearly is, at best, the Caps' number two goaltender. And who knows? I mean, maybe he gets surpassed by someone else. Although, Caps Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan, in a session with reporters late Wednesday afternoon, actually spoke pretty highly of Lindgren and said that there was a market for Lindgren. And that was part of why the Caps ended up giving Lindgren a three-year contract. Uh, This coming season will be Lindgren's age 29 season. He has started a total of just 24 NHL regular season games since he made his NHL regular season debut in April 2016. But Darcy Kemper is the Caps' new number one goaltender. Uh, He was the number one goaltender available in free agency this NHL offseason. And the question now is, well, uh, will Darcy Kemper be good for the Caps, especially considering that they will be paying him $5.25 million per year? Uh, There are many things to like about Darcy Kemper. Uh, Darcy Kemper showed us in the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs that he can be a championship caliber goaltender. And this is what the Caps are aiming for, right? Another Stanley Cup championship. Uh, Kemper for the Colorado Avalanche in that team's run to winning the 2022 Stanley Cup title, played and started in 16 postseason games. He, over those 16 games, had a goals against average of 257 and a save percentage of 902. Uh, Darcy Kemper has been a good goaltender in three of the last four seasons. You know, most of these NHL goaltenders are fickle and year to year and cannot be truly trusted. Uh, this has been a problem for the Caps. Well, Darcy Kemper has ranked in the top 10 among all NHL goaltenders, each with at least 25 starts in save percentage in three of the last four NHL regular seasons. Uh, Kemper for the 2021-2022 NHL regular season ranked number five among all NHL goaltenders, each with at least 25 starts in save percentage at 921. Uh, Now, Kemper for the 2020-2021 NHL regular season did rank 19th among all NHL goaltenders, each with at least 25 starts in save percentage at 9.07. But Kemper for the 2019-2020 NHL regular season ranked number three among all NHL goaltenders, each with at least 25 starts in save percentage at 9.28. And Kemper for the 2018-2019 NHL regular season ranked number seven among all NHL goaltenders, each with at least 25 starts in save percentage at 925. There has been a consistency with Darcy Kemper in recent years that's impossible to deny. How about this? Kemper has consistently stopped five-on-five high-danger shots on goal. Uh, To me, one of the best ways to judge a goaltender's performance in an NHL season is is his save percentage on high-danger shots on goal during five-on-five play. In other words, non-penalty kill, high-danger shots on goal. How do you do against the toughest shots on goal? Well, here are Darcy Kemper's save percentages on -on five-on-five high-danger shots on goal per natural stat trick over the last four regular seasons. Uh, 2021-2022 with the Colorado Avalanche, 863 2020-2021 with the Arizona Coyotes, 803. 2019-2020 with the Coyotes, 841. 2018-2019 with the Coyotes, 
835. For comparison's sake, uh, Vitek Vanacek in the 2021-2022 regular season per natural stat trick had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of 850. Now that was good, but Ilya Samsonov in the 2021-2022 regular season per natural stat trick had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of 785. And Vanacek in the 2020-2021 regular season per natural stat trick had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of just 798. Samsonov in the 2020-2021 regular season per natural stat trick had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of just 779. Uh, also, Darcy Kemper is big. He's listed as being six foot five and 215 pounds. Now, size for an NHL goaltender certainly isn't everything, but all things being equal, you'd rather the guy be bigger than smaller, not unlike quarterback in the NFL. Uh, as for the concerns with Darcy Kemper, I mean, look, probably the biggest concern is that he is a goaltender. And like I said, NHL goaltenders tend to be fickle and year to year, but the good news is that Kemper has displayed a consistency in recent seasons. Uh, now, Kemper is older. He's already in his 30s. Uh, this coming season will be his age 32 season. Uh, this five-year, 26.25 million dollar contract that the Caps have given him uh, will be for his age 32 through age 36 seasons. Uh, now, that said, plenty of NHL goaltenders have performed well in their 30s, but it is important to note you're not signing Darcy Kemper in, say, his mid-20s. And Kemper does have a bit of an injury history. He, in the COVID-19 shortened 2020-2021 NHL regular season, played in just 27 of the Arizona Coyotes' 56 games due to an MCL injury. And Kemper, in the Colorado Avalanche's run to the 2022 Stanley Cup Championship, missed time in the postseason uh, due to getting poked in an eye and due to what was called an upper body injury. But all things considered, I like that the Caps have signed Darcy Kemper. I mean, look, the Caps are a win-now team. Their goaltending has been their biggest problem over the last two seasons. They've given Kemper real money, yes, but the Caps also have swung big here and have gotten themselves the number one goaltender on the free agent market in this 2022 NHL offseason. I respect and appreciate it the aggressiveness. Uh, I'm a Caps fan. I like that the team is trying to win and win now. You know, be aggressive given where you're at in terms of the ages and salaries of your players. Uh, Success belongs to the bold. And this to me was a bold move by the Caps. Here was Brian McClellan in his session with reporters late on Wednesday afternoon on Darcy Kemper. I mean, I think he's a good goalie. Um, obviously, just won a Stanley Cup. He's had a lot of good years, a lot of good performances. Um, seems like a good person, good character, good team guy. Um, and I think it's exactly what we needed to do in the next year. Is the 5.25 also the first range that you wanted or you guys... Uh, we, I think we came to it, you know. I mean, there's probably a range of, you know, five to six... Um, was the general market for it, and we came to that number. Worked for both parties. Do you um, see him as like a traditional number one, where he's going to carry most of the play most of the games here? But yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's he's seems to be a guy that likes to play a lot, uh, from what I hear. And I mean, well, you, our goalie coaches will balance it out, right. you know. 
um, make sure that hopefully that everybody's fresh at the end of the year. Now, as for the Caps moving on from both Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek and now having Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren, uh, more from Brian McClellan on Wednesday afternoon. I feel comfortable with what we have now. Um, you know, I think we had two good goalies. I, the young guys were good. I guess it's a little frustrating that I wish one of them would have taken over for the number one spot. Um, and it seemed like one or the other were going to do it, but it never quite did it. And I think we ran out of time to wait for it. So I, I still think they both have a good future in the NHL. They're still young, they're still improving. Um, it's just a situation where we've tried it and we don't have enough more time to stick with them both. Yeah, like I said, the Caps are very much a win-now team, given the ages and salaries of many of the team's top players. And the two-headed goaltending monster of Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek just didn't work. Uh, it's too bad, because it would have been great if at least one of them had emerged, but that never happened. Now, I do think that there is a conversation to be had here of what you ultimately got back uh, for Ilya Samsonov. You spent a first-round pick on the guy, and you end up losing him for nothing in unrestricted free agency. I mean, you did get some years of service out of him, but, you know, I think that there is something to be said here of, well, why couldn't you have turned him into something more than, I don't know, nothing? You know, losing him for nothing in free agency. Uh, But yeah, it just did not work out. The Samsonov-Vanacek two-headed goaltending monster just did not work out. Uh, Also, for the Caps, on day one of NHL free agency on Wednesday, a change for the defense corps. So we on Wednesday afternoon, again, minutes after the official start of NHL free agency at noon Eastern, amazing how that works, uh, had multiple reports that the Caps had lost unrestricted free agent defenseman Justin Schultz to the Seattle Kraken on a two-year contract. And the Kraken on Wednesday evening announced having agreed with Schultz on a two-year $3 million contract. Uh, this coming season will be Schultz's age 32 season. He was the third defense pair defenseman for the Caps. You know, he was not terrible. Six Caps defensemen each played in at least 70 games in the 2021-2022 NHL regular season. Schultz per NHL.com ranked number two out of those defensemen in five-on-five shot attempt percentage at 51.3. Uh, the Caps in October 2020 signed Schultz as an unrestricted free agent, two-year, $8 million contract. He came to the Caps of having played for the Pittsburgh Penguins for four-plus seasons. But the Caps on Wednesday afternoon got their Justin Schultz replacement. Uh, They announced having signed unrestricted free agent defenseman Eric Gustafson to a one-year, $800,000 contract. Uh, So Gustafson is younger than Schultz is. Gustafson is much cheaper than Schultz is. And I would say that Gustafson is a close enough approximation of Schultz. You could even argue that Gustafson might be better than Schultz. Uh, This coming season will be Gustafson's age 30 season, and he's coming off a pretty nice season for the Chicago Blackhawks. Seven Blackhawks defensemen each played in at least 50 games in the 2021-2022 regular season. Gustafson per NHL.com ranked number one out of those defensemen in five-on-five shot attempt percentage at 50.1. Brian McClellan on Wednesday afternoon on Eric Gustafson. Yeah, third pair D, uh, offensive, really good puck mover. Um, you know, I think he's he's had some good years. He's played well. 
and um, I think it'd be a good fit for our team. I think the forwards are really going to like him. Left side of left uh, side TBR. of TBR, yes. So, uh, how much of a bonus is it that uh, you combine their two salaries? It's one point seven five. I mean, that's half of one of your players last year. Yeah, right. I mean, we were looking for an uh, affordable player in that spot. Yeah, that had similar skills to uh, Schultz. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, the Caps have been in a tight salary cap predicament for a while. So getting someone in Eric Gustafson, who is younger and cheaper than Justin Schultz, but perhaps just as good as Schultz, a nice move. And then the Caps on Wednesday evening announced multiple transactions. Uh, The Caps on Wednesday evening announced a trade. They announced having traded a second round pick in the 2024 NHL draft to the Ottawa Senators for forward Connor Brown. You know, Brian McClellan during that session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon mentioned potentially doing something at forward. Well, uh, here was that something. Uh, This coming season will be Brown's age 29 season and the final season of a three-year contract for him. So you are getting him in a contract season. But there are three things that I really like about Connor Brown. Uh, A, he has been a mostly very durable player over his six full NHL seasons. B, he has been a good player in terms of puck possession in each of the last two seasons. Uh, He had been playing for the Ottawa Senators. 22 Senators players each played in at least 25 games in the 2021-2022 regular season. Brown per NHL.com ranked number two out of those players in five-on-five shot attempt percentage at 50.2. And then you look at the previous season, 18 Senators players each played in at least 25 games in the 2020-2021 regular season. Brown per NHL.com ranked number four out of those players in five-on-five shot attempt percentage at 50.3. And then C, Brown can play on the penalty kill. You ask, what can Brown do for you? Well, he can play on the penalty kill too. Uh, Connor Brown in the 2021-2022 regular season at number three among all Senators players who each played in at least 25 games in shorthanded time on ice per game played at two minutes, 38 seconds. And then also on Wednesday evening, the Caps announced having re-signed unrestricted free agent forward Marcus Johansson to a one-year, $1.1 million contract. So the second stint of Mojo with the Caps will continue. Uh, This coming season will be his age 32 season. The Caps this past March 21st on what was NHL trade deadline day acquired Johansson from the Seattle Kraken for forward Daniel Sprong, a 2022 fourth round pick and a 2023 sixth round pick. The Caps took Johansson out of Sweden with the number 24 pick in the 2009 NHL draft. He played for the Caps for seven NHL seasons, 2010-2011 through 2016-2017, before being traded by the Caps to the New Jersey Devils in July 2017. Johansson, since being traded by the Caps to the Devils in July 2017, had played for five different NHL teams before being traded to the Caps this past March. Uh, Johansson was with the Devils, the Boston Bruins, the Buffalo Sabres, the Minnesota Wild, and the Kraken. So I suppose he was tired of bouncing around. He is familiar, obviously, with the Caps. He has been very well received by the Caps and by Caps fans. And so he's sticking around for at least one more season. Uh, But yeah, a very busy day one of NHL free agency for the Caps. The bulk of their work would seem to be done. I mean, like I said, the Caps are in a tight salary cap predicament, or at least we think they are. Uh, But who knows? Who knows what Brian McClellan 
may be cooking up here. But whatever the case, uh, a lot to take in from what the Caps did on Wednesday. All right, so make it three consecutive series sweeps for the Orioles. Make it 10 consecutive wins for the Orioles. Make it a game above 500 for the Orioles. The Orioles' magical ride continued on Wednesday night. The O's on Wednesday night won their 10th consecutive game, 7-1 at the Chicago Cubs, to complete a two-game sweep as the O's, Joe Angel, were where else? The win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Oh, Joe, don't you know, 45 and 44. The Orioles' record in the 2022 regular season now is 45 and 44. The O's are two games out of the second wild card spot in the American League. I can't believe I'm saying that. The Tampa Bay Rays are atop the AO wild card standings at 48 and 40. We then have a three-way tie for second in the AL wildcard standings with three teams, the Toronto Blue Jays, who on Wednesday, by the way, fired their manager, Charlie Montoyo, uh, the Boston Red Sox, and the Seattle Mariners, who themselves have won 10 consecutive games. But the Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Mariners, each team is 47 and 42. And then we have the O's, who are two games behind the Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Mariners at 45 and 44. The O's are in playoff contention, my friends. Uh, more great pitching for the O's on Wednesday night. Spencer Watkins was good yet again. Watkins on Wednesday night, one run in five innings with five strikeouts. Uh, he gave up four hits, a triple, a double, and two singles. He issued two walks. He threw 86 pitches, 52 strikes, versus 34 balls. When you talk about, well, why are the O's doing so well right now? One of the reasons is a guy like Spencer Watkins. He continues to impress. Watkins in the 2022 regular season, over 12 major league starts now, has an ERA of 393, and he has been quite good since coming back to the majors. The O's on June 25th recalled Watkins from AAA Norfolk off on June 8th, having reinstated him from the 15-day injured list, but then optioned him to Norfolk. Uh, the O's on May 23rd put Watkins on the 15-day IL with a right elbow contusion. But since he got recalled from Norfolk on June 25th, we've had one good start after another from Spencer Watkins. 6-2 win at the Chicago White Sox on June 25th. Watkins, one run, which was unearned in five innings. A 3-2 loss at the Minnesota Twins on July 1st. Watkins, one run in six innings. Five strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just three hits, a double, and two singles. 2-1 win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on July 6th. Watkins, one run in six and two-thirds innings. Uh, very impressive stuff here from Spencer Watkins. Uh, and very impressive stuff from the Orioles' bullpen. Uh, the bullpen on Wednesday night, again, good. Four Orioles relievers combined for four scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Dylan Tate, a perfect bottom of the sixth. His ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 255. CNL Perez, perfect bottom of the seventh. 
his ERA for the 2022 regular season down to a microscopic 0.90. Joey Crable, scoreless bottom of the eighth, his ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 227. And Brian Baker tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. Uh, The O's in the 2022 regular season, number five in the majors in relief pitching ERA at 319. You know, so much of the recent success for the O's starts with the pitching, both starting and relieving. And game in, game out, you feel like the Orioles pitching is going to be good. This is really surprising, especially when you consider the following, and this gets forgotten. The Orioles' best starting pitcher, John Means, is long gone. He has been done for the season for months now due to needing Tommy John surgery, and yet still, the O's are not only winning, but winning with pitching. The O's have had to do things like send down Bruce Zimmerman because he was so bad, and yet the O's are winning and winning with pitching. I mean, Bruce Zimmerman was supposed to be a key member of the rotation this season. He initially was good, then unraveled, got sent down to AAA Norfolk, but the Orioles pitching has been a real strength here lately. Uh, The Orioles offense on Wednesday night was good. Seven runs, 12 hits, three walks, five for 10 with runners in scoring position. Big game for Austin Hayes, and boy, did he need that. Uh, Hayes on Wednesday night as the Orioles starting right fielder and number five batter, four for five with a double and three singles. Uh, Hayes in the Orioles three-run first, a one-out single on an 0-2 pitch. That single snapped a three for 42 funk for Hayes. Yeah, Austin Hayes had really been struggling. He in the top of the third had a one-out single. He in the Orioles three-run eighth had a two-out double that started the rally despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And Hayes in the top of the ninth, a two-out single. Not a bad way to bust out of a slump, a four-hit night for Austin Hayes. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters late night on Wednesday night on Austin Hayes. Yeah, you know, Hazy's, uh, you know, grinding with the wrist a little bit and, and um, some bad luck, too. He's hitting some balls hard and just doesn't have the results. So it was nice to see him get some, find some holes and, and um, swing the bat the way he did. And also on Wednesday night, Cedric Mullins got on base three times. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, went two for five with two singles and a walk. Uh, this run by the O's right now really is something. And the amount of O's fans at Wrigley Field in this series, really impressive. Uh, more from Brandon Hyde with reporters late night on Wednesday night. Our Orioles fans traveled and they, they, they were showing, they showed up here these last two games. They were loud. Um, it was a great feeling for our guys to come off the field and have so many Orioles fans behind the dugout, and uh, they were really into it, and um, great energy in the ballpark, and our fans really showed up. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jerry Moore on Wednesday night, writes Jerry, Al, what an incredible run, 10 straight, feels great, let's go O's. Uh, thank you for the email, Jerry. I like the rhyme. 10 straight feels great. Uh, No game for the O's on Thursday, unfortunately. Uh, But they on Friday night will begin a three-game series at the Tampa Bay Rays in what is the Orioles' final series before the All-Star break. And dare I say, postseason implications. AL wildcard implications. (laughs) O's at the Rays this weekend. 
Well, talk about two teams going in opposite directions. We certainly had that at Nationals Park on Wednesday. A day-night doubleheader between the Nationals and the Seattle Mariners as a two-game series was played in a single day off a rainout on Tuesday night. The result was a doubleheader sweep of the Nats. Uh, game one, a 6-4 Nats loss. Game two, a 2-1 Nats loss. The Nats now have lost 12 of the team's last 13 games. The Mariners now have won 10 consecutive games. Uh, Again, two teams going in opposite directions. Uh, The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are 30 and 60, worst record in the National League, a winning percentage of 333. That works out to a record over 162 games of 54 and 108. The Nats right now are on pace for a 108 loss season. The Nats have the worst run differential in the majors at minus 145. And as if two more losses were not enough for the Nats on Wednesday, we also have this. It now appears as if closer Tanner Rainey needs Tommy John surgery and is done for the season. Yeah. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon, in between games one and two of the doubleheader, placed reliever Tanner Rainey on the 60-day injured list with a right UCL sprain and selected the contract of reliever Tyler Clippard from AAA Rochester. Uh, If you know baseball, you know that right UCL sprain or left UCL sprain is code for potentially needing Tommy John surgery. And the fact that the Nats put Clippard on the 60-day IL as opposed to on the 10-day IL or the 15-day IL Tells you everything that you need to know. Uh, Just awful news for Tanner Rainey. He has had an uneven season, but he's a talented guy. He has a lot of potential, and you certainly wanted to see him continue to pitch this season. Heck, he might have even been a legitimate trade chip for the Nats come the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd, depending on how he was pitching. But uh, him being dealt by that August 2nd MLB trade deadline now out the window. And another thing is that this season is Rainey's age 29 season. So he's entering his 30s. And now it looks like he needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Tanner Rainey. Oh, so Tanner, we put him on the IL. He's got a UCL strain. Um, he's going to go see uh, the doctor, and we'll get more information in the next couple of days. How long had this been lingering, and how did the you know MRI come about? Yeah, no, he uh, he, he said he felt something um, the day after he pitched. Um, we we told him just kind of got some treatment. He wanted to see what what it felt like the next day. It didn't get any better, uh, so we we wanted to get him an MRI right away. Obviously, that's you know you still have to wait and see what the results of this all are. But knowing the history of that and what it can be, um, how concerned are you of what that might mean for him, not just this season but maybe even beyond? Yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm concerned. I mean, like you said, it's, it's it's when you're talking about the UCL, um, you're always concerned. So um, let, let's see what let's see what the uh, the doctors say, and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, still early since the news, but what is your early outlook on the closer rule? Um, you know, right now, uh, if we had a chance to close today, Finnegan was going to do it. But, you know, the, all, if you look at a bullpen right now, these guys are really throwing the ball well. I mean, they are. So, um, you know, one day we'll go Finnegan. We'll see how he's doing. And if we have to do something else, we'll do something else. But all these guys, um, uh, they're throwing the ball well. You know, we're trying to use them in situations where we feel that we can get the best out of them. And, and they're doing well. 
Yeah, more on the Nats bullpen in a bit, but also, yeah, terrible news for Tanner Rainey. Now, it is nice to finally see the Nats call up Tyler Clippard. Uh, I am happy about this. Uh, the Nats in March signed Clippard to a minor league contract. This season is his age 37 season. He was at AAA Rochester this season for far longer than anyone ever expected, but he fits well for Rochester. 33 games, 36 into third innings, ERA at 248, whip of 121, strikeouts per nine innings of 12.14. Uh, Clippard last season pitched for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He in the 2021 regular season totaled just 25 and a third innings due to a shoulder strain, uh, which was the first significant injury of his major league career. And Clippard, of course, pitched for the Nats years ago. He's arguably the best reliever in Nats history, talking about since the franchise came to Washington, D.C., beginning with the 2005 season. Clippard pitched for the Nats from 2008 through 2014. He, over his seven regular seasons in his first stint with the Nats, had an ERA over 464 innings of 268. He, in each of five consecutive regular seasons with the Nats 2010 through 2014, appeared in at least 72 games and threw at least 70 and a third innings. In fact, Clippard, as we speak, is number one in Nats history. So again, since the franchise came to D.C. in regular season appearances by a pitcher at 414. So cool to have Tyler Clippard back with the Nats. He is an older player, clearly. Uh, the Nats are a rebuilding team, obviously, but perhaps Clippard can emerge as a trade chip, although there's not much time for that. Uh, the MLB trade deadline, again, is on August 2nd. Uh, but yeah, this Tanner Rainey development, not good. Uh, also not good, Josiah Gray in the Nats 6-4 loss to the Mariners at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader. Uh, Gray allowed five runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up six hits, three home runs, and three singles. He issued three walks. He did record seven strikeouts, but he, over his five innings, threw 97 pitches, 57 strikes, versus 40 balls. Uh, Gray again had trouble in the first inning of a game. Gray in the top of the first allowed three runs. Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season has a first inning ERA of 688. He really has had a hard time in the first innings of games this season. Gray on Wednesday afternoon in the first inning issued a leadoff four-pitch walk of J.P. Crawford, then issued a one-out six-pitch walk of Carlos Santana, and then gave up the first of the three home runs that he allowed in the game. Gave up a one-out three-run homer to Eugenio Suarez on a bomb to left field for a 3-0 Mariners lead. The homer went a projected 439 feet for StatCast. And then Gray in the top of the fourth allowed two runs on two more homers. He gave up a leadoff homer to Jesse Winker to right center field for a 4-0 Mariners lead. And Gray gave up a one-out solo homer to Adam Frazier to right field for a 5-0 Mariners lead. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon on Josiah Gray. Today he was just un unusual for him not, not to stay on his legs. Um, so when that happens, he was getting underneath the ball and everything was just sailing away from him. So we talk, talked to him after the game. Um, you know, as always, you know, when he throws strikes he's, and he works ahead of hitters, um, he's really good. I think he, he was ahead of seven hitters, struck out five batters. So the key for him is to get ahead of hitters, um, and he knows that. Um, but, you know, just his fastball command was not there today. Um, that's, something, that's something that we can correct, you know, in the next bullpen. But we got to get him back in his legs. Um, 
And once we do that, it'll start working downhill. So um, I think that that's a uh, relatively easy problem to fix, you know, because he's done it. I know he can do it. So uh, we'll get him back. Yeah, so Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 17 starts, ERA of 440. Uh, He does have a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.37. That's good. But there's also this. Gray now has allowed 40 home runs in 162 and two-thirds major league innings over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons. That is a staggering home run total for Gray to have allowed over 162 and two-thirds major league innings, 40 home runs. And there's this too, the extreme variance of Josiah Gray that has emerged. Take a listen to how Jekyll and Hyde Josiah Gray has been lately. 2-1 inning loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on June 18th. Gray in that game, six scoreless innings. 3-2 loss at the Texas Rangers on June 25th. Gray in that game, two runs in seven innings, nine strikeouts versus one walk. He also gave up just four hits. So, okay, those two starts, quite good. But then a 6-3 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 1st. Gray in that game, six runs in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up a whopping 10 hits, a homer, two doubles, and seven singles. He did have six strikeouts versus two walks. 3-2 win at the Philadelphia Phillies on July 6th. Gray in that game, back to being good. Two runs in six innings, 11 strikeouts versus one walk and four hits. And now Gray with what he did on Wednesday afternoon, back to being bad. Gray in this 6-4 loss to the Mariners at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, five runs in five innings. Uh, Right now, Gray is either really good or really bad. His last five starts, three really good starts, and two really bad starts. Uh, The Nats starting pitcher in their 2-1 loss to the Mariners at Nationals Park on Wednesday evening in game two of the doubleheader was Eric Fetty. Now, he was coming off a horrible outing, a 12-2 loss at the Atlanta Braves this past Friday night. Fetty in that game, eight runs in three innings. He gave up eight hits, three homers, a double, and four singles. He issued three walks into wild pitch. He recorded just one strikeout. Fetty really was bad in that game. Well, Fetty on Wednesday evening was much better. Uh, He was good for five innings. And then he fell apart in the sixth. And we now perhaps have an idea as to why. Uh, Davey Martinez, during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night, revealed that Fetty uh, vomited during the game. And Fetty, during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night, said, and I'm just telling you what he said, okay, that he vomited in his mouth and then swallowed. Yeah. Um, I don't like saying that. I don't like thinking about that. But that's what Fetty revealed after the game. He did not uh, put it out on the field. He decided to uh, ingest it. So, yeah, it's not really that much of a mystery, I guess, when you consider that, uh, why his outing fell apart in the top of the six. He ultimately, for the game, allowed two runs in five and a third innings, gave up six hits, a homer and five singles, issued three walks into wild pitch, and he, over his five and a third innings, did throw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. 85 pitches, 46 strikes versus 39 balls. Fetty tossed five scoreless innings until being charged with two runs in the top of the six, and things really did fall apart for him in that top of the six. He gave up a one-out solo homer to Jesse Winker to right field 
for a 1-0 Mariners lead. Fetty gave up a one-out single to J.P. Crawford. Fetty issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Carlos Santana. Fetty issued a one-out wild pitch. Fetty issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Eugenio Suarez and then got pulled from the game. Uh, for Eric Fetty now, in the 2022 regular season, 18 starts, ERA of 491, and a whip of 150. Here were the bright spots for the Nats on Wednesday. Uh, Juan Soto, Lane Thomas, and the bullpen, although even with Soto, <laughs> there was a negative, because of course there has to be a negative with just about everything with the Nats this season. So Juan Soto in game one of the doubleheader was the Nats starting right fielder and number three batter. Yeah, he was in the three spot, not the two spot. Josh Bell as the starting first baseman was in the two spot. But Soto in game one on Wednesday afternoon, one for two with a three-run homer and three walks, although he committed a crucial base running blunder. Uh, Soto in the bottom of the first drew a two-out five-pitch walk. Soto in the bottom of the fifth drew a two-out intentional walk. Soto in the bottom of the seventh drew a two-out four-pitch walk, but he then got tagged out in a rundown between third base and home plate for the third out on a Nelson Cruz two-out opposite field double to right field. And by the way, prior to Soto getting tagged out, was Cruz nearly being tagged out at second base, but Juan Soto has been guilty of way too many outs on the base paths this season. I don't get why this keeps happening, but this keeps happening. And there you had Soto once again in a game, and this time in the latter innings of a game that was still within reach, getting tagged out on the base paths, and this in a rundown between third base and home plate for the third out in the inning. Now, Soto did then hit a big homer in the game, bottom of the ninth, a two-out first pitch, opposite field, three-run homer to left center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 6-4. And then Soto in game two of the doubleheader as the Nats' starting right fielder and number three batter, another homer. He went one for four with a solo homer. Uh, Soto in the Nats' one-run ninth, a leadoff homer to the second deck in right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. Uh, the homer went and projected 444 feet per stat cast. That was some shot by Juan Soto. So he homered in the ninth inning of each game in the doubleheader on Wednesday. He pretty clearly is ready for his participation in this Monday night's home run derby at Dodger Stadium. Juan Soto now has hit four home runs over his last five games. And for all of the talk of, you know, Josh Bell deserving to be a National League All-Star this season more than Juan Soto, and I certainly have engaged in that talk, take a listen to this. Juan Soto's OPS for the 2022 regular season has gone from 796 through June 22nd to now 892. Juan Soto in less than a month has raised his OPS for the season by 96 points. That's not easy to do this time of year. And yet Soto has done that. Uh, also, Lane Thomas, good doubleheader for him. Uh, Thomas in game one of the doubleheader as an at starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for four with two singles. Thomas in game two of the doubleheader as an at starting left fielder and number six batter, two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. And then there was an Nats bullpen in the doubleheader. Nice work by the Nats bullpen. Uh, game one, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Hunter Harvey was back. He tossed a perfect top of the six. So the Nats on Sunday morning, returned from rehabilitation assignment and reinstated reliever Hunter Harvey from the 60-day injured list. The Nats on April 21st put Harvey on the 10-day IL with a right pronator strain. Uh, the Nats on June 14th transferred Harvey 
to the 60-day IL. Also in Game 1 on Wednesday afternoon, Mason Thompson, a perfect top of the 7th. Corey Abbott did allow a run in two innings, but he, in a perfect top of the 8th, recorded three swinging strikeouts, and they were of the Mariners' numbers three through five batters. Carlos Santana, Eugenio Suarez, and Jesse Winker. And then in Game 2 of the doubleheader, Four Nats relievers combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Uh, Steve Ciszek came into the game in the top of the sixth with the bases loaded, one out, and the Nats trailing one nothing. He sandwiched two outs around a two-out hit-by-pitch, but did allow an inherited runner to score on a one-out RBI sack fly by Adam Frazier for a 2-0 Mariners lead. Uh, Andres Machado tossed a perfect top of the 7th. Jordan Weems tossed a perfect top of the 8th. And Erasmo Ramirez tossed a scoreless top of the ninth with three strikeouts. Uh, next up for the Nats, a four-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park Thursday through Sunday in what is the Nats' final series before the All-Star break. Game 1, Thursday night at 7.05. Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' Starting pitcher, he'll be pitching in a Major League regular season game for the first time since the 2020 season. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 357. I do believe will feature a special guest talking commanders. Now, I don't want to jinx it, but if all goes as planned, uh, I will have a very special guest for you on Friday's show. Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, They on Thursday night at 7.05 will begin game one of a four-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Winning. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.